Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Um, it's really good to uh, see you all this morning. Hope you're blessed for being here. Um, it's good, to, it's good to see everyone out this morning. We've been on this theme of um, following Jesus in all of life, as you can see, and that's the definition that we give for discipleship. We told you this a couple of weeks ago as we prepped ourselves for this, that um, even in our own gatherings around elders and staff, we asked about discipleship, and everybody had a different idea about discipleship. It's all right, by the way, but we thought we would try and define exactly what discipleship is. Now, what I want to do this morning, I want to talk to you a, a little bit about um, one word, all right? And uh, Debbie, my daughter Debbie, was at my house yesterday, and she reminded me of a verse um, in Jeremiah 29, 13, and we're all pretty um, au fait with 29.11. 29.11 is the verse that says, you know, that the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper and all of that. But then when you drop down a couple of verses, in verse 13, it says this, that you will, it says you will seek me, you will find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. All right? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Or I want to talk to you about the word all. All. All means all. All right? It means everything. And all right? So we want to teach you in this um, series how to follow God in all of your life, in your job, in, as a parent, as a son, daughter, in your finances, in your community, wherever you are in your prayer life, in your habits and things like that. And so what we thought we would do is we would probably investigate four pretty big questions. What does it mean to follow Jesus in all of life? Why would I do that? Who is this man I'm called to follow? And what is the mission? And of course, we know the mission booms out as clear today as it did 2,000 years ago when Jesus made the great, what we know as the Great Commission, and he made five big booming statements, all authority is mine, he said. And then he he delegated that authority, and he said, now go you, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and of course, I will be with you. And this banner is flying over us that has untold effects into thousands of lives that are being unleashed right now. Discipleship is the process by which disciples grow in the Lord. You probably know all this. It's the, it's the process of equipping, all right, equipping the saints. Uh, by the Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts to overcome the pressures and trials of this present life and become more and more Christ-like. And, uh, and this process requires believers to respond to the Holy Spirit. We know all of this, all right? It requires that we get into the Word daily. It, get, it requires that we, we feed ourselves. It requires that you just don't become Sunday feeders. But actually, we, 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 we have daily habits in the Word. And that means that then we're ready to give testimony. I love this verse in First Peter. It says that, <clears throat> but in your hearts honor Christ as the Lord is holy, always being prepared. You see that? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone 
who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and yet he says, do it with gentleness and respect to disciple others to walk in his way. So there's something about that. What I've always found interesting is that um, in my own life and in people's lives, we can have a couple of things going on. <laughs> We're good at um, compartmentalizing. Is that the word? Compartmentalizing. We're good at living in the compartments, all right? And so what that means is we can do, be something on Sunday that we're not actually the rest of the week. All, all of us is, are like that, a little bit, all right? I remember the, the guy who said, um, I wouldn't go to that church, there's too many hypocrites in it. And the, guy, the other guy said, well, why don't you come on down? One more won't do any harm. And, and we're all hypocritical about something, aren't we? We're all hypocritical about something. But the thing that shocks me sometimes is that we can allow God into one part of our lives, but not into every part. And what can happen is we can, like we can have a great love for Jesus and we can be addicted to pornography. We can have a great love for Jesus and be addicted to alcohol or, or maybe even prescription drugs or, or God knows a myriad of other things. And we find ways to excuse these, actually, don't we? We say, well, it's my private world that doesn't really affect anybody else. Or I'm stressed and I need a relaxant and I have a stressful job and the kids are stressful at their age. Or, or the doctor said it's okay. We do find ways to excuse it. And, and, and we can have this great love for Jesus, but yoke ourselves to someone who actually has no interest in Jesus. Interesting, isn't it, how this can happen? Because we allow him into certain places, but not into all places. And this is the thing that, that, that and if we're not careful, here's the thing, if we're not careful, we can learn how to do both. If we're not really careful, we can learn how to, how to do both. We can learn how to live a dual world. Uh, and, 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 and that's the danger. And the thing that is, no, no one might ever know, except God, of course, because He demands all. He demands full surrender. Now, there's a little verse, a couple of verses in Proverbs that I, I, I have loved for a long time, this first one especially. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise uh, wisdom and instruction. And then the other one, because the little word all was in it, I like it, it says get wisdom, though it costs all you have, get understanding. Though it costs all that you have. Wisdom is saying, God, I want all of you, so I give you all of me to you. That's what wisdom says. I want all of you, God, so I, I give all of me to you. And so what happens when we give all? When I move, he moves. When he moves, I move. <laughs> that's what it means to give all. That's what, that's what it means to, to fully surrender. It's a bit like the three-legged race, isn't it? It's a bit like when I move, he moves. When he moves, I move. And it's being attached to God in such a way. And, and imagine when you left your home this morning that I were to sneak into your home and put an elephant in your home. Imagine if that were to happen. If I went to your house and I released an elephant in your home, think about what your home would be like when you get home. Now, some of you are thinking who have teenage kids that there's already been an elephant in, in, in your home. But um, but think of the disruption. Think about if that elephant was left in your home all day and you got home, what it might be like. 
I, I imagine there could be a few walls knocked down. I imagine that the perimeters of your home might be expanded a bit. But this is what happens when, when we allow God into all of, her all of our lives. He brings disruption. He knocks some wall down. He, he, he creates expansion because, you see, we've given him all. And he's bigger. I say this with all reverence. He's bigger than an elephant in your home. And so when he comes into a person's life, he will bring all kinds of things. So it's easy to give God the bits that aren't working. It's easy to say, God, I'll give you my relationships when they're in a mess. It's easy to say, God, will you please take my finances because I'm broke. It's easy to give God the bits that don't work. But, but you see, when I come to Christ, all of my life is worship. So when I turn on Google... I'm worshiping. When I come to church, I'm worshiping. When I get home and, and close the door at night and nobody's watching, it's worship because all of life is worship. Someone once said, well, I'm a, I'm a good Christian, but I'm just a real hopeless employee. No, 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 no. No, that's, that's not right. That's just a lie of the enemy. You cannot separate these things. Like, I'm a good Christian, just I'm not a really good spouse. No, 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 no. You can't say that. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look this morning really quickly at five responses of a true disciple that I see in the Scripture, all right? And, and they're, they're very simple. I think you'll, you'll grab them, and we'll tell a few stories along the way, all right? The first thing, I, I, the first response of a, of a true Christian is that they... they they put Jesus first in all things. You know the verse, don't you? Matthew 6, 33. You know, you put first. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I, I, this one in Mark always daunts me. Sorry, it's quite wordy on the screen, but it's just really important. It says, in calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, this is Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him, look, look at the language, deny himself. When was the last time you denied yourself something? <laughs> Let him take up his cross and follow me, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and forfeited his own soul? Or what can a man give in return for his soul for whoever he brings this challenge in that's scary, is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So the disciple of Christ needs to be set apart from the world. Our focus should be on the Lord and pleasing him in all of our lives. All. All of our lives. All right? We must put off self-centeredness and put on Christ-centeredness, all right? Second one, we're going well, aren't we? Following Jesus' teachings, a true disciple, what I see in Scripture, follows Jesus' teachings, all right? Here's, here's what Jesus said about that, actually, in John 8. He said, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word and are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's your knowledge of the truth. It's not just the truth that sets you free. It's how you know it. That's why it's important to be obedient doers of the Word. Obedience is the supreme test of faith in God, all right? 
to obey is better than sacrifice, the prophet um, told old Saul. To obey is better than sacrifice. All right? So the perfect example of obedience is a life lived on earth in a complete obedience to the Father, even to the point of death. And this is what happened with Jesus. It says in Philippines that he was in the form of God. He didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped after. But this is what he says. It says, being found in human form, he humbled himself, look at the words, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Do you think Jesus thought it was good fun to die? Do you think he thought, God, this is a brilliant idea. <laughs> we go to the cross and they'll strip me and beat me to pulp and it's a brilliant idea, Father. Glad we thought that up. He says, obedient to death. Even death on the cross. Third one. Going good, aren't we? Just five of them. And then with some other points. Um, but fruitfulness, all right? I am the vine, he says in, in John 15. Here it is. I am the vine. You are the branches. You've just got to live the branch life, you see. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. All right, from apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide, and you see the language, the abiding, 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 ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. Look at it again, that you bear much fruit. There's twice over, and so prove to be my disciples. Imagine that. God's asking us to prove that we are his disciples, all right? And you do that by bearing much fruit. So our job is not to produce the fruit. I've taught you this. Our job is to abide in Christ, all right? And the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit. So he is the vine. We are the branches. And the branches just bear fruit. They don't produce fruit. Far too many churches today and far too many Christians that are running about trying to produce fruit, they just bear it, all right? And so he is the vine. And when we become more obedient to the Lord, we learn to walk in his ways and our lives will change. And the biggest chance or the biggest change will take place in our hearts. This is so good. And the overflow of this will be new conduct. It will be our thoughts or words or actions or which are representations of change. And maybe you'll remember this a good while ago. I put this little diagram up that I always say you've got two intakes and one exhaust. And your physical intake, which is the one on the left, we're tripartite, we, we believe that, that we're body, soul, and spirit, and we've got a physical intake. And so it's our senses, our sight, our sound, and things we watch, things we listen to, even smells, and all of that, all of this physical intake into our body. And then we've got a spiritual intake. And sometimes our physical intake is way, 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 way stronger than our spiritual intake. Sometimes our spiritual intake is just so, so weak. But you see the exhaust out the bottom, the behavior? <laughs> By this shall all men know. Something happens, something exhausts out of the bottom there, as you can see, through what we take in. So it's really important um, what happens. You see, here's the thing. Um, one of the things that I love to do is word squares and word puzzles. I have a couple of little apps on my phone, and when I'm trying to unwind at night, I do these little word things. And when I'm going on holidays, every time I go on holidays, I go into the bookshop, 
W.H. Smith's in the airport, and I buy a word puzzle book. All right, I buy a word puzzle book, and this is what I do in the plane, and um, I find it that's good for my mind. And and you know, you know, you know, you know what I found? I don't know if you ever, ever ever done word puzzles, but I found that the answers are on the back. <laughs> and and I'm slightly embarrassed to tell you this, but actually, when I get stuck, I peep. And you know the reason I do that? I, I, this, is, this is the weird thing about me. Uh, I think I'm more interested in the ending than I am in the journey. I think the problem with me is I, I actually think my OCD tends to think it needs to look well before I can move on. And so I need to make sure one's finished before. I can't do this. I can't do. Some people can. They can do one. And then when they get stuck, they can go. And, and uh, people can, some people can do If you're sanguine personality, Jill could have done this. She would have started at the back of the book. I couldn't figure that out. Why would you start at the back of the book? Jill used to buy a journal and write in the last page first. Couldn't figure that out. But anyway, this, this, is, this is what is about me, you see. I, I'm more interested, I think, in the ending than I am in the journey. And it's a bit like John, little John, who brings his homework, and he realizes when he's doing his homework that the answers are in the back. And he copies all the answers, and he brings the, the answers to the teacher, and the teacher says, brilliant, John, all the right answers. And let me, tell me how you found them out. And John goes, well, well, just, well, the answers are all right, aren't they? And the teacher goes, well, the answers are all right, John, but show me your homework book. Show me where you worked that out. Well, I worked it out in my head. Oh, did you, John? Well, that's great. Well, let's figure it out in your head. You see, because the teacher's not really that worried about getting all the right answers. He's actually worried about the journey and the process of getting the right answers. God's very like that, you see. We, we, we get all caught up in the ending, but God is interested in the journey. You see, this is kind of weird. Laurie and I disagree over movies, all right? I like action movies. Laurie doesn't like action movies. It's kind of weird. This is kind of strange. I like James Bond and Mission Impossible. It's amazing that I like Tom Cruise and Laurie doesn't. But um, there you go. But um, she, she says to me about action movies, she says, Phil, they're cheesy. And, and, and she said... They, you, there, there's no point to them because, because what happens is, she says, you, you know the outcome. You always know the outcome. James Bond's never going to get killed. Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible is going to jump off a train at 150 miles an hour and roll over and jump up and go and do the next thing. And she says, it's just, it's not real. Not the, you, you know the outcome of it. And I said, but it's not about the outcome. It's about the action. I said to her, my mom used to watch Columbo and Ironside. Some of you are remembering those. And I used to say to my mom, mom, Columbo and Ironside, you always know what's going to happen. And she used to say to me, son, it's, you know Columbo's always going to sort it out. You just, you're interested in how he's going to sort it out. And, and you see, God's like that. You, 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 Jesus wins every time. Jesus is bigger than Columbo. Jesus wins every time. You don't follow him to see if he's going to win. You follow him to see how he's going to work it out. You follow him because you're saying, God, how are you going to do it this time? God, what are you going to do? 
I remember when Jill lay dead on the floor of our bedroom back in 2006, I remember those exact words, God, what are you going to do? That's, that's the thing, you see, God wins every time. It's not about a matter of whether he wins or not. It's about how he will bring you through. And here's the thing, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom. You see, if you want the job, you'll have to fill the application form in. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You don't get it. It's going to, there's, going to be, there's going to be a process. And, and I find the lack of wisdom turns up in all the weak places. This is what happens with me. The places that forces you into secrecy. The places that you won't share with your life group or maybe even your nearest and dearest because God changes from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. It isn't something that we conjure up on our own. And that, this is why we differ from politicians. You see, politicians say, if you change the circumstances, you change the people. And Jesus says, no, you change the people, you'll actually change the circumstances. I watched that movie, um, um, the one that I can only imagine. I watched that movie. You should watch that movie. It's a very, very daunting story and how he wrote the song because, you see, the, the, the power of God changed his father from a monster to a man that he actually, he, he, he wanted to be like. And he said, not, he couldn't figure out what else could do that? You see, only God can do that. I remember hearing a story years ago about this slum estate. It was a real slum estate up somewhere in the north of Scotland. And the politicians decided that they would, it was just an embarrassment of the county. And they decided what they would do. They would strip this, this estate down and they would build lovely new council homes and they would put the people into temporary dwelling and then they would bring them back into their new homes. And so they did this hundreds and hundreds and of thousands of pounds. They racked the homes. They built lovely new council homes. They drafted the people back in. And six months after, they decided they would go and review and see what, what, what things were going like. And they were horrified because they found, you see, the slum wasn't in the house. The slum was in the person. And the politician says, change the circumstances. You change the people. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You change the people. You change the circumstances. You don't believe that. Ask some people in this room who have invited Jesus into their lives and something powerful happens when we do that. This is the thing about giving all you see. Really important. Number four, gotta love other people. You know this one. Um, I'm sure you've heard me quote it time and time again from John 13. It says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I loved you. And you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Did you come to church? Did you give to the poor? Which are all wonderful things to do. No, 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 no. By how you love one another. When was the last time you showed love to one another? When was the last time you spoke well? When was the last time you built your brother up when someone was trying to tear them down? We are told to love other believers as an evidence of our being, of us being a member of God's family. And 1 Corinthians 13 elaborates in this whole thing, this, this process. We need to think more highly of others than we actually even do of ourselves. And here's 
What it says in, in Philippines, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he concludes in verse 5, and he says, he says, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What a perfect example for us, for everything that we are to do in our Christian walk. And then lastly, as we look into this um, this number five is evangelism, making. These, these are things, these are the responses that I see of true disciples in the Scripture, all right? Um, now, here's the thing. Um, Jesus said, go, go and make disciples. I, I, I know I say this little phrase, and I do it in my devotion a lot. I love this verse, but I do love this verse. And... Uh, I have a friend who told me this funny story. He told me that he was watching the rugby one Saturday afternoon and his, the patio door was open and his kid was playing in the monkey bars. <laughs> and uh, he said he was in the middle of the match and it was really good. He said he was sitting with his mug of coffee. That's what he told me anyway. Um, and uh, he, he's sitting with his mug of coffee. He's watching the match. And he said, the patio doors open. His kid's playing in the climbing room. The next thing he heard, Daddy, Daddy, I'm stuck. And his wee boy had got stuck in the climbing frame. And, and he did what any good dad would do. He said, sort it out. <laughs> and, and, and you'll be all right. And he goes, Daddy, Daddy, I'm stuck. So when he realized he couldn't encourage him out, he thought he'd instruct him out. And he said, move a bit. And the wee boy goes, Daddy, I'm still stuck. So when he couldn't encourage him out and he couldn't instruct him out, then he thought he could condemn him out. I told you not to climb in that frame anyway. Still watching the rugby. And the wee boy, the wee boy, Daddy, 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 I'm stuck. And eventually he says, Phil, I had to just get up. And he says, when I went out, he was really stuck. <laughs> he said, I don't know how he'd actually got in the place he was. And he said, he was so stuck. He said, what did I do was, he said, I had to climb up onto the top of the climbing frame. And he said, I had to climb along the top of the climbing frame. And, and he said, I'd actually to contort myself to pull him out of the climbing frame. You see, Jesus could have encouraged us out. He could have instructed us out, maybe. Thank God he didn't condemn us out. But he came. And he climbed into the monkey bars. He climbed into our monkey bars of sin. And he contorted himself into the shape of our sin. And he contorted himself into the shape of the vilest thing that you could think of today. And he lifted us right out of the monkey bars. That's, that, that's why Paul, when he writes to the church in Rome, he says this. Don't be afraid to give all your body. Don't be afraid to give all your mind. And don't be afraid to give all your soul. Because he climbed into the monkey bars for you. And he gave all for you. Jesus came. Jesus is good at stooping and lifting. 
That's what grace is, you see. Stooping and lifting, stooping and lifting, stooping and lifting, stooping and lifting, stooping and lifting. That's what he does best. And it's grace. And this is why, as disciples, we're supposed to do the same. This is why we're a compassionate church. It's not because it makes us feel good. It's because it's what we're called to do. We're called to to stoop and lift. We're called to stoop and lift. We're called to stoop and lift. That's what Jesus done for us. And we're to duplicate what he done. And too often we believe the lie of the Satan. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about evangelism. Here's the thing about coming to this number five one. Um, sorry, I haven't it all on there. But when we come to that number five of evangelism, here's the thing about it. We, we, we have to share our faith. No matter how young in faith we are. And the, de- the devil would like us to believe that, oh, you're not that good at it and you're young in the faith. I have found this. And anybody in leadership here will tell you the same. The new, the new converts are the best evangelists. They're the best evangelists. And, and you might know a lot of Bible verses of the accepted or the accepted way to say things or the sinner's prayer or whatever. But you've experienced the love of the living God. And that's contagious, especially when you let it into all your life. It gets contagious. And you learn how when people around you are bringing someone down, you learn how to lift them up. Because that's what good disciples do. Will it cost anything for the last two slides? Will it cost anything? Well, this is sort of the, the, the discipleship response that we've done. These are the five points we've done. All right? Well, here, will it cost anything? I'll not go through all these, but just to let you see them. It'll cost everything. It'll cost everything. It'll cost yourself. It's cross-bearing. It means the loss of life. Remember, Jesus said, "If you, he who loses his life finds it. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's, it's sort of oxymoron, if that's the right word. It's sort of upside-down kingdom. Want, every, want something in the kingdom of God? Give everything away. Want something in life? Hoard and save and, 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 and be skimpy and not be generous. It's just the upside down. It means loving Jesus more than family and friends. It's giving up all things to gain Christ. It's a commitment that demands your all, and your life is no longer your own because you're bought with a price and you don't even belong to yourself. That's why you've got to give all. And are there any rewards for it? Marty, do you want to come? We'll finish with a song. Um, Are there any rewards for it? Oh, I, I, this is only one slide. I could have done 10 slides, but this is just one. The saving of our lives. A family that spans all families. A name that's written in heaven. The promise of a crown. The promise of eternal life. A promise of a mansion in heaven. An heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. And the ultimate reward of all time. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Can I say this to you as I close? The beginning, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. I fear it lacks in today's society. I fear it lacks in today's society. But the beginning of wisdom, and when we start with that, when I think well, I, I, I wouldn't do that or I wouldn't take that or I wouldn't say that because I would fear what my father would think. Not, a, not, a, not an unhealthy fear, but a reverential healthy fear. That, that is, that's, a, that's a great message right there. 
and it lacks today. And, and the greatest thing that you can give yourself in this season of your life is a group of friends that will push you into wisdom. This is why we do life groups, you see. A group of friends that will push you into wisdom. A group of friends that will say, don't do that, John. Don't do that, Fred. Don't do that, Tom. Whatever you do, don't do that. And good friends, let me say this as we close. Good friends are friends who love and critique. Love and critique. Love and critique. If you've got friends that critique all the time, they're not friends. If you've got friends and they critique all the time, and every time you come away from them, you feel inferior and you feel not good enough, get away from them. They're not friends. They're enemies. They're enemies. They're, they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. You don't want those people around you. A good friend is a friend who loves you, critiques you, loves you, and critiques you. And a good friend always, always leaves you feeling better about yourself, even when they critique because they do it in love. And so this is why life groups are, are so, so important. So we're going to worship, then I'll come back and pray for you. Uh, are you challenged this morning, challenged about all? Yeah? Okay, good. Two of you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.